This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Live from Toronto, Canada The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett From Zoomer Radio AM 740. Everybody knows that the days are She had headaches, and we're not talking just regular headaches. They were extreme headaches where the secretary would call me. Wi-Fi is toxic. It's a different form of toxicity, but it's toxic to our bodies. The big thing with kids is they're more vulnerable. So you expose children to radiation, and their little bodies don't handle it as well. There are children getting sick. As a parent, if I had a young child, I want to use my child as an experiment to see if it's going to take 30 years or 20 years to become sick. No, not me. The weight of the evidence demonstrates clearly that exposure to radiofrequency radiation causes disease. You don't, you don't want, want to, to wait, wait until, until you, you can count, count the, the bodies before you tell the public that there is a serious potential of harm. I don't know what I'm going to do. If you, if you have Wi-Fi in there, I just, I can't, I can't do this to my daughter. I cannot put her through this experiment. You don't want to wait until you can count the bodies. I think I was about, oh, I'm not sure, I think about 12 years old or so, um, and I was sitting really close to the television, watching the big, the old uh, vacuum tube television. And my grandmother walked in the room and she said, don't sit so close to the TV. I had no idea exactly what she was talking about, but uh, I think I do tonight. And I think I do now. After uh, about a week of research or so, I've become convinced that we are swimming in stuff that we just don't know about. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. And Richard Serrett is not here this evening, as is apparent by the voice you're hearing. Richard is in Arizona, actually, putting together film for his upcoming television programs, series of programs on Vision Television. You may have caught the first couple of installments on February the 18th and the 25th. Uh, fantastic 
compelling television. Richard has to be congratulated for his passion and the compelling way he's put this information together. And I do want to congratulate him on that vision. This evening, our topic is wireless technology safe. And we've got a raft of experts out there that are going to deal with this and help us along to become a little bit more educated about this phenomenon of EMF, electromagnetic fields. Uh, Yeah, we've got four or five guests on this evening, and I hope that you can become part of this conversation. To start off with, uh, we've got an expert from Trent University. Magda Havas is Associate Professor of Environmental and Resource Studies at Trent University, where she teaches and does research on the biological effects of environmental contaminants. Dr. Vaz's research since the 1990s is concerned with the biological effects of electromagnetic pollution, including radio frequency radiation, electromagnetic fields, and dirty electricity. She also works with diabetics, as well as with people who have multiple sclerosis, tinnitus, chronic fatigue syndrome, and those who are electrically hypersensitive. And get this, she also conducts research on the sick building syndrome. We'll find out more about that, too. Magda, good evening and welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thank you, Victor. It's a pleasure to be here. That's quite an introduction. Uh, <laughs> we'll probably get into a whole lot of the, the other aspects of this uh, as the evening progresses, and we'll be together for the whole two hours. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Um, let's just start, just give us a bit of a thumbnail sketch, very quickly, a bit of a primer on what this thing EMF really is so that uh, we get a a starting point uh, as to where to begin our discussion. Well, EMF stands for electromagnetic fields, and it's a very general term that takes into account um, both um, the fields and the radiation coming from um, electromagnetic um, sources uh, like cell phones and power lines and computers. And it refers to a spectrum of frequencies that goes... Uh, from, you know, less than one cycle per second all the way up to trillions and gazillions of cycles per second. And we give different parts of that spectrum different names because they have different properties. And various parts of that spectrum are actually adversely affecting the health of individuals. Mm -hmm. Just give us an idea of how pervasive uh, is this stuff, the EMF. Is it literally all around us all the time? Are we swimming in it or is it more localized? Well, uh, both are correct. Um, We have background levels of this radiation uh, that comes from the sun, for example, and uh, from the earth and from outer space. So we're exposed to fairly low levels of these alternating fields. Um, But our technology has increased the background levels considerably, millions and billions of times. And they come, um, they've been increasing ever since we started using electricity back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And um, the more electronic and, and wireless technology that we have, the higher the levels of exposure. So background levels are, of exposure are increasing. But if you're very close to a device, then um, you have even higher levels of exposure. So you have these hot spots, and then you have sort of an ambient high level as well. I see. So uh, you, you raised a point uh, back in the 1800s. At what point uh, were we not exposed to this kind of um, influence? Well, prior to electricity, there was no man-made sources um, of these frequencies. We have a very little bit of microwave radiation coming from outer space, but 
the signals there are so weak that uh, we have to have huge radio telescopes to pick up any signals at all. And um, the other sources of radiation that we get from outer space are things like infrared and, and light. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not what we're concerned about right now. It's, it's the slightly lower frequencies within the microwave and radio frequency band, and certainly the energy that's put off by um, our use of electricity at 60 cycles per I, second. I see. The, the, the idea that you, know, you go into a local coffee shop or you go to a library or even in a workplace, uh, from what you're saying, and the, some of the devices that I know are in some of those locations, it's really hard to stay away from this stuff. It's virtually impossible to um, isolate yourself from this. People who have become very sensitive to this form of radiation um, have to go out into the country with the hope that cell towers won't follow them and uh, be placed next to their their homes. Very often, these very, very sensitive individuals um, can no longer use electricity. Um, They they use different forms of lighting. Um, They heat with wood. So they have really reverted uh, back to a life that, um, you know, I certainly wasn't exposed to when I was growing up, um, mm-hmm. but perhaps my grandfathers and grandmothers were. So, so what kind of devices uh, specifically that we use virtually, I guess, on a daily basis, what kind of devices are the culprits here? Well, when it comes to the power frequency fields, it's anything that's plugged into to electricity. So uh, an electric range, a hair dryer will produce uh, these low frequencies with giving off high magnetic fields. But I think the ones that we're most concerned about are the wireless technologies. And that would the ones I'm primarily concerned about are uh, the wireless router in the home or in the school environment or in the work environment. The cordless phone is, is a very bad one. We can talk about that. Um, it's not mm-hmm. for various reasons. Baby monitors, wireless home alarm systems, and even the compact fluorescent light bulbs that we're using in the home uh, are causing problems for people who are sensitive. And then, of course, the cell phone. Yeah. Let's make a differentiation here um, and try to make some, I guess, some contrasts. You're saying that there are individuals who are hypersensitive to this kind of um, EMF field or different types of it, uh, the ones that have, I guess, display certain symptoms because they are hypersensitive to it. Uh, let's suppose you're not hypersensitive, so you wouldn't display any type of uh, overt symptom. Does that mean these things aren't affecting you? Well, not necessarily. We do know that um, uh, there's an increased risk of people developing various types of tumors associated with the head from brain tumors to tumors of the eye to tumors of the uh, acoustic nerve um, to tumors of the salivary gland. And these individuals don't necessarily, um, you know, develop any other symptoms. They don't have headaches, for example, or anything else. They eventually come down with a brain tumor, usually after um, a 10 years of, of at least 10 years of using using the phone. So uh, whether or not you can feel the symptom uh, coming on, whether or not you have headaches or nausea or dizziness or some of the other symptoms, doesn't mean you're not being affected. Um, as a matter of fact, we're all electromagnetic beings. All of our neural processes are electromagnetic. Our brain waves, our heart. Um, Every time you move a muscle, that's an electromagnetic signal. Mm -hmm. And what we're thinking is that these external signals are interfering with the internal ones, and and that's what's causing the problem. I see. Now, in one of your papers um, in the bottom line productions, I think that you you wrote an article, and I believe you said something about... um, in the American Journal of Epidemiology, that those users who spend more than 22 hours a month 
on their cell phones are 58% more likely to develop tumors. Um, just want to talk to us about that for a moment because the cell phone usage is, is, is rampant in that way. Okay, that's, that's not my, my statement. I'm not quite certain where you got that one from. Mm. But there was a study called the Interphone Study that was um, a very largely funded study of con- consisting of 13 different countries that participated. And it took a very long time for them. You know, they looked at thousands of individuals, and mm-hmm. it took a very long time for the report to come out. But they concluded that if you're exposed for 1,640 hours over a 10-year period, which is 164 hours a year, um, then you have an increased risk of developing, have at least a doubling a risk of developing a brain tumor. And that was a very, very conservative, fairly poorly designed study in that it underestimated the risk um, based on the way that the um, controls were selected and, and um, the way that the cell phone users were classified. So using a phone for 164 hours a year for 10 years um, is enough to uh, increase your risk of developing a brain tumor by a factor of two. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about baby monitors. Um, well, there may be parents and grandparents out there listening who use these things on a regular basis. What type of influence do they have? Well, this is something I'm very concerned about. Um, concerned to the point that um, we actually submitted a petition to the environmental ombudsman um, in Canada asking them to ban uh, both the cordless phone that we have. Uh, it's a very special type of... I'm not, I'm not necessarily opposed to cordless phones, mm-hmm. but there's a very special type of cordless phone. It's called a DECT phone, D-E-C-T. Mm-hmm. And that's for... It stands for Digitally Enhanced Cordless Telephone. And there's also something called a DECT baby monitor. And both of these devices emit microwave radiation at uh, very high levels, well below guidelines, but still very high levels constantly, whether you're using them or not. So as long as you have um, the monitor monitor, um, next to your infant, um, that child is being exposed to microwave radiation. Mm -hmm. And the mother or whoever else is is, um, holding the other end of the monitor is also being exposed. Um, and this is something that's really unacceptable. Wow. Okay, let's, let's hold on there for a second, and we'll uh, get back to that in a moment. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show on AM 740. My name is Victor Vigiani. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani here sitting in for Richard Serrett and Professor Magda Havas is here with us with some very disturbing news. Uh, We were just finishing off a bit of a commentary by her on baby monitors. Do you want to finish that thought off uh, before we go on to our next? Because that's very disturbing for young ones. Well, the baby monitors we have in North America are radiating all the time. The baby monitors they have in Europe 
are voice activated, which means when the baby cries, there's a signal sent um, to the mother. And that's the only time that the child is being exposed to microwave radiation. So the fact that they're they're, um, emitting this radiation all the time is what I'm particularly concerned about. And if they can design these baby monitors that are voice activated and they're using them in Europe, why are we not, uh, why don't we have access to them here in North America as well? Mm -hmm. There must be, uh, talk to us a little bit about the standards that obviously must be in place at, at the federal or provincial level, even internationally, that, uh, that have to be in place in order to you know, manufacture these things and put them on the market. Right. Well, what's interesting about the standards that we have for exposure is that they vary by at least four orders of magnitude around the world. Canada, United States, uh, Germany, the United Kingdom, and a few other countries have some of the worst guidelines in the world. Our guidelines allow us to be exposed to 1,000, and the units are microwatts per centimeter squared. I'll I'll always use those units so we can just compare numbers. Um, In Switzerland, uh, which is where you have the World Health Organization, um, in Russia, where they've done research on this for decades before we even got involved in it, in China, in Poland, in Hungary, in the Czech Republic, and a number of other countries, the guidelines are 1% of the ones that we have here in Canada. So instead of 1,000, their population can only be exposed to 10 of these units, microwatts per centimeter squared. And that just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I used to work on chemical toxicants in the environment, and if we had a guideline for lead, it was virtually identical in in most countries. It might be off uh, ever so slightly, but never for orders of magnitude. So our guidelines in Canada are based on something called the heating effect or the thermal effect. And the assumption that our our health officials have made is that if it doesn't heat your body, then it's perfectly safe. But there are now so many studies coming out showing that there's no possible heating effect, um, yet there are biological changes that, and some of them are harmful to your health. So the other countries have based their guidelines on biological effects. Our guidelines are based entirely on heating. And what is particularly disturbing about our guidelines is that they're averaged only over a six-minute period. So we don't have long-term guidelines. Um, and they're not based on the absolute values that you're exposed to. They're based on some averaging that's uh, supposed to be uh, important uh, in a heating, um, you know, from a heating perspective. So we're really archaic in our guidelines, and um, certainly the guidelines that we currently have, I don't think, protect uh, adults, and they certainly don't protect children. Now, from the point of view of, you said, thermal heating, and we we have our standards based on those uh, kinds of criteria, and other countries don't use thermal heating. Like, are we missing the boat here? Are we? Is, We're totally missing the boat. Um, what's really interesting is when the research started in this area, it started, you know, just before World War One, World War Two. Um, they started to use radar for detecting enemy aircrafts. And radar um, uses radio frequencies, and some of them are within the microwave band of the spectrum. So they're using frequencies that are very similar to the frequencies we use for cell phones, for example, for our microwave ovens, um, for our wireless computers. And um, eventually the levels for radar began to get higher and higher. And so the U.S. government um, wanted to find out, well, you know, what are the levels that are safe? 
And at that time, um, they knew that um, microwaves cause heating effects. That's one of the reasons we use them for microwave ovens to heat our food. Um, and so guidelines were based on how much energy uh, an adult, healthy military officer or, or personnel um, could uh, get rid of. Um, so it's based on a you know six foot, two hundred pound healthy um, male. And uh, calculations were made. The ones that the Americans came up with initially were 100,000, based on the units I just gave you, mm -hmm. microwatts per centimeter squared. Um, that was sort of done at a meeting, you know, using uh, the back of an envelope kind of calculation. Within a couple of weeks, that was very quickly lowered to 10 because the calculation was wrong. Um, and it stayed at 10 for a very long time. And now it's 1,000 rather than 10,000. Um, it used to be 100,000. So, um, you know, the guidelines have come down. In the Soviet Union, um, they were interested in this radiation from a military perspective, but they were also interested in it from a health perspective. So a lot of their research was done in hospitals and medical clinics to find out whether or not you can use this radiation to heal people rather than to harm them. And so they were looking at very, very low levels and found that these very low levels had biological consequences. So they actually based their guidelines on those low, low biological effects, and we based uh, guidelines on the higher thermal effects, uh, you know, from a military perspective. I think a lot of the scientists who were alive when these guidelines were made would be horrified if they knew that we were actually using them um, and exposing, you know, elementary-age kids in schools. They would be absolutely horrified by that that concept. And a number of them, a number of the medical doctors, you know, warned the military and warned the government back in the 50s and 60s that the levels that they that had at that time were far too high and did not protect um, the population. And in one of the military documents that I've read that has been declassified, um, the statement was that if we had more stringent guidelines in North America, it would interfere with military function and with um, commercial use of this radiation. And so I think that that really far outweighed the you know, health effects to uh, people who work with this technology and, and certainly the military. We're talking to uh, Magda Havas this evening, Trent University. Uh, the website here, www.magdahavas.com, is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. If you want to join in the conversation and have a look at that website, you're more than welcome to go. And if you're sitting at your computer at this time without a Wi-Fi, it's... Uh, Whatever. That's right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to just go back for a second to the to sort of the app, the military applications uh, of of this and the the kind of I guess the situation is where we've got a uh, this a large military industrial complex who use these things uh, for whatever purposes and the rest of society is just having to follow along uh, in these footsteps uh, rather sort of being led in the dark by the so-called government that seems to be or wants to portray itself as being in charge and taking care of our of our needs. Um, do you see a real serious incongruity in all of that? Very much so, and, and I actually don't think, well, in Canada the military is not a very powerful um, institution. In the United States it is, and it has a lot of influence. Um, in Canada, I think the real problem is that microwave radiation is used in um, industry uh, for heat sealing. So a lot of the packages that we get, you know, at the grocery store or the hardware store that are, come in these um, um, plastic 
um, heat sealed uh, packages mm-hmm. are actually heat sealed using microwave radiation. And the levels that those workers are exposed to are really quite high. And this hasn't received a lot of attention from the media, I guess, because, you know, it's, it's hidden behind, behind walls. But in some of the studies that I've read, some of the early ones, um, the levels were so high in these, these factories that um, you could take a fluorescent light bulb and hold it near the microwave sealers and the light bulb would go on, and that's one of the ways they, they determined whether or not the equipment was working or not. They used fluorescent light bulbs that weren't plugged into anything. They were simply held close. And there was enough energy there to excite the gases within that fluorescent tube. Um, and so, you know, we know that those levels are very, very high, and I think that's one of the reasons our levels have remained high is because those people have to be exposed uh, uh, if if they don't, you know, if the company doesn't want to take the extra steps to mm-hmm. protect them. Great. Okay, well, hold on there for a second, uh, Magda, and we'll be back on the other side to continue this discussion. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show on AN740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome back. My name is Victor Vigiani, sitting in for Richard Serrett this evening. Richard is in Arizona doing some filming for his upcoming television program, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Vision Television. Be be sure to tune in next Friday at 11 o'clock p.m. for the next installment, Compelling Television. We're talking this evening with Magda Havis, Associate Professor at Trent University, and our topic this evening is is wireless technology safe? Magda, we want to get into the aspects of Wi-Fi in schools in a moment. Um, my background in education, as both as a teacher as also as an elementary school principal, um, brings me very closely in touch with this. And having worked in the educational uh, field for some 35 years, I have uh, been part of this in a, in a very kind of um, descriptive way. And I know you've got some parents who have uh, some concerns about this, and uh, I would invite those parents at this time. Uh, there's How many do you have that uh, wish to call in? Oh, I, I don't know how many have, have um, uh, want to call in. I simply mm-hmm. let them know that the show was great, on. Great, great. Well, if they do want to call in, uh, toll-free, uh, those that are listening to us, uh, give us a call at one 866 740 uh, use that number, and if it's uh, if it's local, you can use four one six three six zero zero seven four zero. Once again, that toll free number is one eight six six seven four zero four seven four zero. And that does not eliminate other um, individuals who wish to call in, but we would like to talk to some of the parents that uh, Magda has uh, had interaction with regarding Wi Fi's in school. Now let's let's have a look at uh, this issue for a second. Um, there's been a lot of controversy. I know in the Simcoe Board of Education up north in Barrie, there's been a big controversy going on about this. Uh, do you want to just sort of give us an outline of how Wi-Fi signals have really become a prominent fixture within some of the parental groups uh, within within the province of Ontario? Well, as you probably know, uh, in Ontario, they're planning on putting Wi-Fi in, I think, most schools within the next couple of years. And um, that means that children will be exposed to microwave radiation for at least six hours during the school day, every day, uh, for, you know, all of their school schooling years, the 12 years. 
And um, that means that they're going to be exposed to 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. 2.4 gigahertz is the frequency of a microwave oven. And basically, they'll be in a, in a room that's like a microwave oven set on very low power. Mm-hmm. The reason that I'm so concerned about this is because kids are beginning to now complain about, with the same symptoms that adults complain who are electrically sensitive. So they come home from school, they have headaches, they you know tell their parents they have difficulty concentrating at school. Um, some of them are you know very very tired after they come home, whereas normally you know they're still quite bubbly and quite active um, until you know after dinner time. Um, some of them uh, show signs of depression. But the thing that I think concerns me the most is that there have been a number of uh, students in the Collingwood area that are beginning to have heart problems, uh, irregular heartbeats, uh, very rapid heartbeats, racing hearts, to the point where several of them have had uh, have been placed on heart monitors by their cardiologists. And the reason I'm so concerned about this is because we recently completed a study looking at how uh, this radiation, the 2.4 gigahertz, the same frequency that's used for Wi-Fi, affects adult hearts. And one of the things we found is that some individuals who are sensitive um, develop an irregular heartbeat or a very rapid heartbeat that's called tachycardia to the point where their heart can actually double its speed instantly when they're blindly exposed um, to this radiation at levels that are 0.3% of our safety code guidelines in Canada. So they're less than 1% of the guidelines that Canada Health Canada says it's safe for for individuals, and adults are reacting to that. Now, what's really fascinating in the Simcoe County School Board is that um, they hired a consultant to go there in November of last year, uh, and this consultant did measurements in two schools, the Mountain View Wood Elementary School and the Collingwood um, Collegiate Institute. And I was given a copy of that document. It's on one of the trustees' websites. And... What I saw really disturbed me. Ten rooms were measured in each of those schools, and in the Mountainwood School, the, the, one of the measurements was actually above our Safety Code 6 guideline. It was uh, something like um, uh, 34% higher than what Health Canada allows. Um, so this is very, very disturbing. However, um, of the 10 rooms tested uh, in both of those schools, in the Mountain, um, Mountain View School, eight of the rooms had levels that were higher than the levels that caused heart arrhythmia in adults in our study and that are higher than the guidelines recommended in Switzerland. And in the Collingwood School, uh, once again, um, seven, I think, of the rooms were above um, the Swiss guidelines and were within the range, well above the levels that we tested uh, with adults for, you know, that showed heart rate problems. So the fact that these children are responding um, doesn't surprise me. Uh, what surprises me is that the levels were as high as they were. And the fact that they exceeded the guidelines that I don't think are protective anyway is extremely disturbing. Now, the way that um, the superintendent and, and the principals handled this is they uh, basically gave misinformation to the media saying that they were well below, all the levels were well below safety code six guidelines, and that's simply false. And this information has not yet been shared with the teachers. It came out, uh, the testing was done in November of last year. The school got a copy of it in December, 
and the parents have yet uh, to be informed uh, of the of the actual values in those schools. Interesting. I just want to uh, let you know, Magda, and and our listeners, that I did invite. Uh, and I made a call to the Ministry of Education on Friday. I did invite uh, the Minister of Education, Leona Dombrowski, on the show this evening, as well as the Director of Communications. I believe her name is Erin Moros. I did invite them on the program this evening uh, through the secretary at the minister's office, but I received no response. Just wanted to let you know that. Well, you know, I'm not surprised. Actually, there's, you know, I hate to say this, but there's very little expertise in this among our healthcare professionals. This is not something that they learned in school. A lot of the research that is coming out has been relatively recent, you know, in the sort of the popular, more, more popular media. And when we look at guidelines... They're actually set by an international group called ICNERP. I won't bother explaining what that is, but... Sounds interesting, yeah. yeah. It's a group of people, uh, a number of them have very strong uh, industry ties, and they get together and they establish what the guidelines are for microwave radiation. They then give that information to the World Health Organization, and so that becomes our guideline. So it's very much industry-directed. Health Canada simply accepts the World Health Organization guidelines, and then the ministers, the health ministers at the, at the provincial level, simply defer to Health Canada. So the guidelines we have are actually set by a bunch of industry scientists and engineers rather than, um, you know, people with a, a strong medical degree looking at the most current research. That's rather um, disturbing, too. You indicated that uh, superintendents and principals uh, gave information out that you feel was um, false. And then you also said that um, some of the readings in classrooms were above standards that um, that were set. That's right. Uh, is, it, would that have to do with the kind of equipment or the number of them? Uh, why would they be above? Well, that's they shouldn't be. <laughs> Uh, you know, this isn't measured on a routine basis. The fact that the schools went ahead and did hire someone to measure them, I think, is, is credit to them. Um, they just didn't understand how to interpret the results. So one of the readings was actually 1,342 microwatts per centimeter squared, mm-hmm. um, and that was in Mountain View Elementary School. And our guidelines are 1,000, so it was 342 units above the current guidelines. And although the person who did the study, Dr. Tony Muck, <clears throat> actually said, well, you know, he's not too concerned about that because you'd have to sort of be holding the computer on your head for at least four and a half minutes before it would cause a problem. You know, I mean, he was quite flippant about that. Um, Wait a minute. Someone was saying that they had to hold a computer to their head in order for it to be dangerous? That's right. The person who did the study, he's uh, the president of Radiation Health and Safety Consulting. His name's Dr. Tony Muck, and he's usually hired by school boards and... and, um, uh, industry. He's worked for the electric utility, so he's, you know, he really understands how industry works, and I think is very sympathetic to their cause. I don't think he believes there's a, a health concern with Wi-Fi or cell phones or anything. So that's one of the reasons I think people hire him. Mm. Um, but in this study, he actually found um, in one of the rooms, one of the readings was well above um, Health Canada Safety Code Six guideline. And when he was asked to comment on it. Um, he basically, you know, 
said it, it wasn't an issue unless the child was, you know, holding the computer, you know, close to, you know, like a hat, I think he said, on, on the child's yeah, head yeah. for four and a half minutes before it would be of concern. And I think, um, you know, this is really just not acceptable uh, when someone's uh, paid to do this kind of measuring. They actually find that the guidelines are exceeded, and then they just downplay that to information. Well, in the school board that, uh, that I was formerly with, We've got, I think at the time that I was with them, like 90,000 children uh, in the school system. Mm -hmm. And the number of children that would be exposed on a daily basis, when you put the numbers in that perspective, we've got a lot of kids that are at risk here. Oh, you know... That's just one school board. Pardon? That's just one school board. That's exactly. I mean, we are really adversely, potentially adversely affecting the health of the future generation um, and so I'm, you know, I'm a grandparent, and I certainly don't want my children exposed to this. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important they not be exposed in the home either. You know, I think you've got to give them a very clean home environment. And some of these children go home, and they have Wi-Fi at home as well, and they play with their video games that are wireless as well. And then they're living near a cell phone tower. So unfortunately, their young bodies are just constantly being exposed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while some of them hopefully won't... Um, experience any adverse effects. Unfortunately, um, I think some of them will, and it's our duty as, as adults um, to protect them, and we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. If you've got a comment that you want to make or ask a question, feel free to call at uh, 416-360-0740 or toll-free at one 740 We're talking to Associate Professor Magda Havas. Uh, Bill, we have a caller from Whitby. Bill, do you have a, a comment that you want to make? Yeah, I have a comment and a question. For, first of all, you know, I, I'm a smoker, okay? I know it's bad for me. But I, I make a prediction in 20 years from today, secondhand cell phone and wireless use will be worse than secondhand smoke. That's my first comment, mm-hmm. which leads to a question. What do you... Like, the effect of wireless use upon our bodies. Because, for instance, I was listening to another show where the question was posed. 30 years ago, the rate of autism was 1 in 10,000. In 20 years coming to today, it's 1 in 100. Now, the big change in our environment has been wireless use. Mm-hmm. And has that been studied at all? There. There's only one preliminary study that I'm familiar with regarding autism and electromagnetic energy. And what it showed is that um, children who were born to mothers who had a high um, electric field around their beds uh, when they were pregnant had a greater risk of having autistic children. Now, that study was really very small. Um, We also have some evidence that Um, children who are autistic, when you clean up the electromagnetic energy in their home, their symptoms diminish considerably. So I think there is a link there, but we're not even close to understanding what that is yet. Well, thanks for your call, Bill. Um, The the other aspect of this is uh, is political implications here. And this, uh, let me run this one by you, Magda. Uh, Teacher federations and teacher unions are notorious for attempting to um, protect their members. And if members, teachers that is, are in schools and they are being influenced by uh, Wi-Fi in the schools, would this not be an issue at the bargaining table? 
Very much so. Um, however, I think it would be so difficult to prove that, you know, your health is being adversely affected unless we could get a doctor to document it. Um, but to prove that it was due to something in the school rather than in, in, in your home environment would be very, very difficult to, to prove. The thing is, I think everyone is hiding behind Health Canada's regulations. And so they say, well, Health Canada says it's safe, and so I don't have to think about it. The question is, what do we do if Health Canada is wrong? <laughs> and we know that they've been wrong before, um, multiple times. Um, and unfortunately, I think they're wrong again. And we have to pay the consequences. Our, we and our children will be paying the consequences, most definitely. How long do you think, um, if they're not already uh, sort of surfacing, how long do you think that the, uh, the symptoms or the overall uh, negative effects are going to become uh, so pervasive that regardless of the research, people are going to start asking questions like, where are all these symptoms coming from? And well, that's already happening. You know, many of the symptoms that are experienced by people who are electrically sick um, are things like headaches and other types of body aches and pains, mm -hmm. um, difficulty sleeping. So they take, you know, they take painkillers, and painkillers are way up. They're taking sleeping pills to help them get to sleep. Uh, depression and anxiety are two of the symptoms, uh, and those drugs are on the rise. So virtually all of the symptoms that, you know, seem to be associated with this kind of sensitivity, um, they're chronic already in our population. And, you know, many of the people I talk to who are electrically sensitive, um, some of them say, well, you know, I'm just getting older and it's normal for me not to be able to sleep. It's normal for me to be in pain. But if you take these individuals and put them into a clean environment, those symptoms disappear. And so, you know, I actually call this rapid aging syndrome because that's what the symptoms resemble, that you're just getting, you know, you're just getting older, you're aging, and your body's beginning to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So I think we're actually uh, witnessing it right now. Some people recognize it, and some, many just haven't yet. I guess it's a matter of how one associates your symptoms with your environment, I would imagine. That's right, but you know, there's been some really interesting uh, things that have happened recently. Compact fluorescent light bulbs, for example, that yeah. we haven't talked about, yeah. um, that are being mandated, you know, by our government. Um, uh, Magda, can we hold that for a second? Sure. We'll just take a bit of a break here. And uh, you're listening to The Conspiracy Show on AM740 Radio. My name is Victor Vigiani. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Is wireless technology safe? We're delving into that issue this evening. We hope it's not too disturbing for you. If you have a child in school in Ontario or if you're listening anywhere in North America over the Internet and you have children in schools, you're going to want to hear the rest of the program. Very disturbing information. We have with us this evening Magda Havas, Associate Professor at Trent University here in Ontario, Canada. And this evening, uh, Magda, we're going to have uh, Martin Weatherall join us. He's on the line right now. And we know that uh, you and Martin have a connection, and we'd like to bring uh, Martin on right now. Great. Martin. Say, say hi to Magda. Hi, Victor. Hi, Magda. Hi, Martin. 
Martin, uh, we know that you have uh, some involvement in this area, not only specifically with your attempts to change, uh, I guess, the perspectives of many people on Wi-Fi in schools, but you you have your own personal story about this. Well, I'm uh, electrosensitive myself, and uh, you know I have a great difficulty getting through life because of uh, this sensitivity. Um, I got very sick from it when I retired and moved to a house in the country, and it was uh, it had severe problems with wireless and electricity and uh, uh, things that shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be happening, happened, and I got very sick from it. How do you know, uh, but you could just play devil's advocate for a moment, how do you know it was as a result of uh, this type of, of Wi-Fi or EMF uh, uh, interference? How do you know well, that? it took me several years, and I, I actually brought uh, an expert from Wisconsin to help me discover it. I uh, also employed experts in wireless technology to... Uh, to measure the problems which I, which were affecting me, and um, eventually I had to move out of my house because I got so sick, and I moved into a, um, a mobile home, and within days my health just changed overnight. Hmm. And the the place I moved to was very safe as far as uh, wireless. Uh, exposure and electrical exposure. I see. Magda, what is your connection with Martin? Well, I've known Martin for quite a long time, um, and he started the WEEP organization, which is trying to help people who are electrically sensitive. But Martin also participated in a blind study that we did. Um, We hooked him up to a heart monitor, and we exposed him to um, microwave radiation, and he was one of the people whose heart reacted quite strongly to this. As a matter of fact, um, after we had completed the study, he was able to tell me exactly when he was exposed because he could feel his heart beating so quickly. Um, and he was lying down on, the, on a you know, bed. He, he wasn't um, moving at all, and his heart just started to race when we turned on the radiation. It was that uh, instantaneous? It's instantaneous and stopped as, t- as soon as we turned it off. It was like a light switch going on and off in his heart. Martin, what would you say to people who are listening this evening who have, for whatever reasons, uh, symptoms of, of I don't know, depression or, or rashes or whatever they may be, and how would they go about, uh, first of all, recognizing that they have symptoms and then connecting those symptoms to something that might relate to uh, EMF uh, signals? The best thing to do is to avoid exposure to these things that can cause the problems. And I advise <clears throat> excuse me, all people to turn off any wireless devices in their own homes, in particular uh, decked cordless phones and Wi-Fi. And I also advise them to try sleeping with the um, switch to their bedroom completely turned off at the panel so that they sleep in a nice, clean, electrically safe environment. And if they notice a difference with a, you know, within a few days, there's a good chance that they're, being, um, they're feeling the effects of, of these different uh, electrical pollutants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're saying that there is a way for them to do their own sort of little blind test by um, having a symptom or whatever it might be and then uh, changing their environment to some degree to see if there's a bit of a change. Yes, and even if they don't know that they have a symptom, I think people will find they feel better if they avoid these different uh, problems. What might some of the symptoms be that you are aware of? 
Well, I can tell you some of the things I suffered from myself. Um, when, when I go into a, a place now where there's Wi-Fi or, or if I'm close to a debt caller's phone, one of the first things I feel is pressure on my chest, mm -hmm. and I start having asthma-type symptoms. My breathing can sometimes be uh, laborious. Um, <clears throat> at a later time, when probably an hour or so later, I could probably uh, often feel very exhausted. Um, I won't be able to sleep in, a, in an area where there's a strong signal, or even a fairly weak signal. Mm -hmm. I really have difficulty sleeping. I see. Well, um, Martin, thank you very much for joining us this evening. We really do appreciate it. And one thing I'd like yeah, go to ahead. just mm -hmm. add. Uh, sure. Mm -hmm. Since they put the smart meters in around Stratford, and okay. they're all around the, the province, my heart problems have been a lot more noticeably worse. And um, Smart meters. I think, yes, the smart meters give off very, very strong, powerful, um, short bursts of microwave radiation, and they do it sometimes many times a minute, mm -hmm. and it's really quite a, a danger for everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, once again, thank you very much, Martin, for your, uh, for your con contribution this evening, and we do appreciate it, and we, we hope that you stay well. Thank you. Okay, Bye. good night now. Uh, I've heard the same thing about smart meters. Yeah. Um, there's people who are contacting me all around North America who are telling me that uh, once the smart meters went on their homes, they couldn't use the room uh, adjacent to the smart meter and mm -hmm. that they became ill. So right. this is a concern. Yeah. Uh, we got a call here, uh, Magda. Let's take uh, a call from Tony here from Toronto. Good evening, Tony. Hello. Hi. Good evening. Do you have a question? Yes. Uh, actually, uh, uh, if you, um, is there any safe microwave? Uh, uh, if I turn it off and leave the room, uh, would, would I be okay? I'm sorry, what was the question? If a microwave. If, if I you... turn it off and leave the room... Uh, you're away. talking about a microwave oven? Yeah, oven. Uh, would I be okay? Well, with microwave ovens, I've measured quite a few of them, and all but one leaks microwave radiation uh, that I've tested, and I've tested a lot of them. So what I recommend is that if you do turn on your microwave oven, just leave the room, and that should, that should be good. Okay. Is there any safe cordless phone? I'm using a cordless phone. Yes, there is um, there's a, a phone called Ecodect, E-C-O-D-E-C-T. E-C-O. E-C-O, Ecodect, D-E-C-T. D-E-C-T. And these uh, phones only radiate when you use them, so they're much better than the uh, traditional cordless phones that we're, we're using right now, and they are available in Canada. Okay, E-C-O-D-E-C-T. E-C-O-D-E-C-T, that's right. Now, I, uh, I, I like to turn on my uh, fluorescent light overhead. Yes. All day and, and uh, go underneath that. Uh, is that... Uh, uh, fluorescent light bulbs also make people um, sick who are electrically sensitive. Oh, I see. Um, they emit uh, radio frequency and something called dirty electricity. Um, they also emit, uh, some of them emit ultraviolet radiation, so it's really important that you not sit close to uh, one of these light bulbs, whether it's a tube fluorescent or even the, you know, the curly compact fluorescent light bulbs. Uh -huh. uh, even the even Health Canada is recognizing um, the ultraviolet radiation, and they recommend that you sit at, at least um, two feet away from them. Two feet away. Okay. Uh, what about TV? How 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 close can you get to be safe from the tube? 
Well, it's interesting that Victor started this talk um, saying that uh, his grandmother told him not to sit close to the TV. My mother told me the same thing. Um, I don't think, you know, as long as you're at least two meters away, there shouldn't be a problem. However, plasma television sets also emit something called dirty electricity, and that goes along the wire in your home, Mm -hmm. and that can actually affect people who are in a different room. Uh, because it flows along the same circuit um, into different rooms. So um, plasma TVs are not very good. The the LCDs, the liquid crystal displays, are much, much better. Thanks for your call, Tony. Thank you very much. Okay, good evening. And we'll, uh, we'll say hello now to Marie. Uh, I believe, Marie, you're in Toronto. You have a question? Uh, hi, Richard. Um, I just it's wanted... Victor, actually. Pardon? It's Victor. Oh, it's Victor. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. A change of pace this evening. Richard is in <laughs> Arizona, and I'm sitting in the chair sort of flying the, the plane this evening. <laughs> Anyways, well, go ahead, Marie. Your voices kind of sound the same, actually. Um, I just wanted to comment that in Russia, uh, you're not allowed to build a home anywhere near a microwave tower. And in Mississauga, they have microwave uh, dishes in every high school. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they have uh, they you know they put antennas on top of apartment buildings and office buildings, and people who are on the upper floors of these buildings are getting very sick. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, uh, am I still on? Yeah, I've uh, also the government has also placed microwave coils in my car because I had an old fuzzbuster that I found uh, when I moved out, and one day I plugged it in my car. And uh, I pointed it to the dash, and the thing started to go off. And then I pushed it into my seat of my car where I'm sitting in the driver's side, and the thing went off. I pushed it on the seat uh, of my car on, on um, the passenger side, the front two seats, and the thing went off. Mm-hmm. So I believe the government install, install, installed uh, either at least two microwave co- co- coils in my car. Mm. That's why they call it the conspiracy show, I guess, Marie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your call, Marie. You're welcome. So, that, uh, what, what, what kind of comment would you have about something like that, Meg? I mean, that's, uh, that's way out there, isn't it? Well, um, people call me all the time who think that they're being um, exposed to, you know, someone's deliberately exposing them to microwave radiation. And without measuring, you know, I simply don't know if that's the case. I do know that... Um, you know, we have experiences of this that have been verified. Uh, for example, the Moscow embassy in, in um, the, sorry, the U.S. embassy in Moscow was irradiated back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and the U.S. government tried to keep it quiet um, because they didn't know what the radiation, you know, they didn't know initially if it was natural or if it was, you know, if they were being attacked mm-hmm. in some way. And a lot of the people in that embassy got sick, uh, and the levels that they were exposed to were, once again, well below our Safety Code 6 guidelines. And, you know, they were deliberately being being irradiated, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it has happened. Yeah. I want to bring on someone else uh, that may help us, you know, ferret through this very, very dicey issue. Uh, Robert Metzinger, he's... Uh, the president of an organization, business called Safe Living Technologies Incorporated. Uh, welcome to the Richard Serrett Show, the conspiracy show, uh, Robert. Say hello to Magda. Thank you, Victor. Hi, Magda. Hi, Robert. Yeah, uh, Robert, can you tell us a little bit about your, um, about your business? Um, well, we, uh, we inspect um, homes and businesses for people's exposure to electromagnetic radiation, and that includes... Um, power line exposures, 
in the low frequency range and wireless communications in the high frequency range. And we also have various types of detectors that help people um, determine what their exposure is uh, via measurement. So you can, you're saying is, what you're saying is that you could, you've got a certain kind of technology that will allow people to get a reading on the kinds of situations they're living in. That's correct, Victor. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about some of the more uh, practical ways that this can happen? Uh, the practical ways of detection? Mm -hmm. um, basically, um, uh, the meter would give you a digital readout of, um, first of all, the, each meter covers a specific frequency range. And these are broadband meters. So they measure a particular frequency range, and they total up the um, various powers of each frequency and give you a sum total of them all at the end. And uh, that number that you get, you can compare that to a, you know, a specific safety code standard and do an assessment of your exposure from that. I see. Uh, you, on your website, um, safelivingtechnologies.ca, you've got a petition to the Government of Canada. And we, the undersigned, asked the government to fill us in on that. Um, that was basically requested by one of my customers, and uh, that was for um, to raise awareness of smart meters and how how ill they are really making people. And Martin brought up a good point when he mentioned that because um, a lot of electrically sensitive people are very sensitive to these smart meters, and um, uh, more awareness needs to get out there about that particular problem. And uh, um, I think. Changes definitely need to happen with that. Yeah. You've got some statements in there that are pretty um, pretty compelling. It, it immediately revise Health Canada Safety Code 6, immediately enforce a moratorium on the installation of cell and wireless antennas, ban all new antennas, base stations, transmitters. Uh, I mean, this you're talking about massive industry change here. Uh, how do you think the government's going to react to that? Well, I, th I don't think uh, changes are going to occur right away, but hopefully that would uh, um, it would just raise awareness and um, um, show people that there there definitely are issues and um, a different path should be taken. I think. Are there any safe ways around this? Uh, I, I constantly grapple with that, and the reading I've done over the past week and a half or so is there is there any safe way around this? Uh, we can talk about this a little bit later about schools, Magda. But right now, just is is there is there anything that can be done about yeah, it? Yeah, well, there, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there um, in industry and in the government, and just getting together and talking about. Um, what types of frequencies affect people. And I'm sure that um, the design of these wireless signals that are transmitting through the air could be changed in a way that would less affect people mm -hmm. and uh, would, would make them less biologically active for people. And uh, um, I, think, I think if we worked on that a little bit with the experts, mm -hmm. um, you know, that would probably, that would probably help. Well, that's great. Well, well you know, with the smart meters, um, you can actually send them through wire. You don't have to send them through air. So that's one of the things that could be done. Um, with the Wi-Fi in schools, if you want to have students connect to the Internet, you can do that through an Ethernet cable or through a fiber optic cable. You don't have to do it through the air. And I think we should, we should limit our wireless technology to something when you're when you're moving from one location to the other, and then you have to have wireless. Uh, but if you're in a building, uh, almost 
everything you can access through wires, and that's what we should be doing. Okay. That's true, Magda, and same with, same with cell phones. I mean, if we're, if we're in a building that has wired phone lines, why, why do we have to use a cell phone? Right. That's right. Now, there are, there, you know, Robert um, has fabrics and various things that shield this. Um, so what people are beginning to do is they're, you know, using this um, shielding paint to paint their rooms if they're mm-hmm. living across from a cell phone tower, for example. And so there are other things that they can do to protect themselves. Terrific. Okay, let's hold it there, and we'll be back after a break. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Love from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Well, that fellow sounded pretty upset, didn't he? Well, if you've been listening for the past hour or so, uh, you have every right to be upset. Uh, Not only are we being brainwashed, but we're being EMF'd to death, apparently. Our guest this evening from Trent University, uh, Magda Havas, and we also have on the line Robert Mexer. Metzinger, sorry, Robert, uh, from Safe Technologies. Uh, Robert, you're talking about uh, different kinds of paints that you could actually apply to uh, do some sealing uh, of these of this kind of uh, EMF field. Mm-hmm. That, that's one approach to um, um, basically the idea is to lower your exposure for for uh, for radio waves, and one of the methods would be uh, applying paint if if indeed the source was coming from outside. Um, the paint or um, it would be considered more of a shielding material and basically reflects radio waves away from you, um, thus reducing your exposure inside of a room. I see. So is there a, a much of a cost involved in this? I mean, if people are that upset about it or that concerned about it, uh, is it something that's easily accessible to the to, to, to general public? Um, it, it's not a very common product, no, but we, we carry the product, and uh, um, it would be more than a, a typical paint because it has shielding components in it. I see. Um, and then it would, uh, um, it, it's black in color, and it would need, need to be covered with regular paint mm-hmm. over top of it. So, um, you know, several applications would be needed in order to, to do that, but, um, you know, the net result would be um, lowering exposure inside of the uh, the room of concern. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you very much for joining us this evening, Robert. Uh, Safe Living Technologies, uh, 
www.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca
uh, like you know, uh, aluminum you use to cook with and all that. You can somehow paste that onto your wall, I was told. And uh, talking about smart meters and Wi-Fi, I actually got a Wi-Fi, and, I, and now I'm, I have heart problems and stuff. I've had heart problems since, uh, uh, was it, two, 1996, I guess. Okay. And uh, I was told that uh, at Harp over in Alaska is about the same thing, I guess. And I'm just wondering if uh, I could get if the lady that's under, I wonder if she has an, uh, like a, a website of, uh, that I can contact her. Okay, Seth, thank you for your call. We'll let Magda answer that question, and uh, we'll get uh, thank you very much for your call. Magda? Okay, well, first of all, I don't think there is enough lead in the lead paint to make a difference um, uh, in terms of shielding. Um, indeed, the military has some proprietary um, uh, paint that they use uh, because they're exposed to very high levels on, on ships, for example, and things of that nature, where the paint actually absorbs the radiation, which is ideally what you'd like to do, but uh, we're having a hard time getting information from them. They don't want to release it uh, beyond the military. Um, when it comes to aluminum, uh, yes, if you take aluminum foil, heavy aluminum foil, and you put it on your windows, it will reflect some of the radiation. Uh, anything metallic will, as a matter of fact. So, you know, if you put uh, a filing cabinet between you and a source, a metal filing cabinet, that will also reflect the radiation. And if people would like to contact me, um, they can contact me via my website. It has uh, contact information there. Mm-hmm. Okay, we want to bring on uh, another, uh, I guess, very vociferous individual who, uh, Magda, I guess uh, I first ran into him on your website. You have a, a video that's on there, and uh, the individual I listened to, Dr. David O. Carpenter, and he really made an impact on me. And initially when Richard and I were talking about this program, uh, his name did come up. Uh, but he wasn't initially on the guest list. But then when I went to your website and watched the uh, the video, I just sat back in amazement and listened to uh, to David's comments. And uh, we're going to bring him on. David David Carpenter is a public health physician uh, who's currently uh, in a position as the director of the Institute of Health and Environment at the University of Albany, uh, as well as a professor in environmental health sciences within the School of Public Health. And Dr. Carpenter's involvement in EMF issues date back to 1980. And also, he's currently a member of the Science Advisory Board of the International Joint Commission, the body which advises the governments of Canada and the United States of America around the Great Lakes. And I'd like to move into a few issues with uh, both uh, David and Magda regarding the politics surrounding uh, all of this, uh, I guess, devastating information. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Thanks very much. I don't think I've ever been called vociferous before. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if you sit back and <laughs> and watch that video, you come across as uh, a no-nonsense kind of guy and uh, really making your case in a way that uh, you have to sit back and listen because of, I guess, your background, your expertise, and just the way you portray yourself. What makes you so adamant about this? Well, I think that the evidence is really overwhelming, that there are adverse health effects from electromagnetic fields. Uh, The level of evidence is stronger for some effects than for others. But uh, I'm a public health physician, and the whole purpose of public health is to prevent disease, not to wait till people get sick to try to cure it. And so I see being fairly forthright about what the evidence is and what diseases people are vulnerable to if they're excessively 
exposed, mm-hmm. that is part of my profession. What, what do you see as the most prevalent type of manifestation uh, of some of these uh, the EMF effects? Well, the, the diseases for which there's the strongest evidence is clearly cancer. And uh, that's the, the cancer of greatest concern for lower frequency fields and probably for uh, fields that the whole body is exposed to is leukemia. And that's been demonstrated for some 30 years, uh, primarily with exposure to uh, magnetic fields from uh, electricity. But the, uh, the evidence for brain tumors is also very strong, and much of the recent uh, focus has been on cell phone use and the evidence that uh, extensive cell phone use for a long period of time increases the risk of brain tumors is, in my judgment, just overwhelming. So you're saying the research is, in fact, there? The research is there. The research has been there for a long period of time. Now, uh, it's very curious that it has been ignored or discounted. And I think there are, there are two reasons that are often given for discounting the evidence. In the first place, People will say there's no animal model that uh, demonstrates cancer from exposure to electromagnetic fields. Well, and that's more or less true. There's some, a few animal studies that have shown cancer as a result. But the evidence in people is so strong, I don't even understand why one would care whether or not there's an animal model. It is people we're concerned about, and we have strong evidence that uh, magnetic fields and radio frequency fields cause cancer in humans. The other excuse that people use is that we do not know a mechanism. In other words, uh, there are a number of possible mechanisms that might explain how these uh, lower energy fields, they're not the ionizing radiation, they're not the fields like uh, X-rays and gamma rays and cosmic rays, that directly damage DNA. But we know many different mechanisms that can explain uh, why these exposures can lead to cancer. What we can't say is that it's all due to this one mechanism. And the reason is probably that it's not just one mechanism, but it's a variety of different mechanisms. We don't know the cause of many kinds of cancers. We do know the cause of some, like those from ionizing radiation, that directly break DNA. They lead to mutations, which lead to cancer, which lead to birth defects. But many other kinds of cancer are not caused by substances that directly damage DNA. So I I really reject both of those excuses and, and think that they are primarily excuses that have been used by the industries that have, and by individuals with conflicts of interest in this issue, and uh, they're, they're not valid. So you're taking issue with the Health Canada standards that seem to them very, very obvious. Well, those standards are are just not protective of health. That's that's a Magda, comment on that. I agree entirely with doc, with uh, what Dr. Carpenter was saying. Uh, the childhood leukemia it's something you know that shows up primarily in children. Um, uh, adults get leukemia if they're occupationally exposed as well, but they tend to have to be exposed to much higher levels. And I think we're seeing the same thing with um, 
uh, wireless. Uh, kids are going to be much more sensitive, so that's why it's so important to make sure that their environment is clean and safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, just to elaborate on that. Yeah, do- doctor, the- doctor, if we just could, we just need to take a break, and we'll come back. Okay. Yeah, this is uh, The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. You're listening to AM740 in Toronto. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Good evening and welcome back. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. We have two very compelling guests on this evening, Dr. David O. Carpenter and Associate Professor Magda Havas. Uh, Welcome back, uh, both of you. uh, Doctor, you were making a point uh, just before the break. Uh, Do you want to continue with that? Well, the point I was making is that the children are more vulnerable than adults. And that's that's true, as Maga said, for the magnetic fields from electricity. But the evidence that uh, children are more vulnerable for the development of brain cancer if they use cell phones than adults has come in very strong fashion from the recent studies in Sweden that show that if you're under the age of 20 when you begin to use a cell phone, you're five times greater risk than if you're an adult. And older adults are less vulnerable than younger adults. The, there are many reasons for this. We know that uh, the young body is developing and growing and uh, is more influenced by many kinds of environmental exposures. And also the uh, young person has longer to live and, and Many of these cancers have a relatively long latency. So the, the concern that many of us have is that almost every young child these days has a cell phone. Now, fortunately, they're texting a lot more than they used to. But still, uh, the, the involvement in wireless uh, exposures is just everywhere now. And uh, that's very worrisome, especially for children, but also for adults. Well, I guess the the uh, compulsion to do this is forced upon us by many different types of, uh, I guess, within the media, uh, not only just within you know selling the things, but there there's also, um, I guess, you know, television shows that promote this, and uh, it, it's almost something that you have to have. Um, and I know in uh, one of the comments that uh, that Magda made on uh, on her website regarding. You know, if you know your child is smoking, uh, would you not want to do something about it? But the fact that they're using a cell phone sometimes doesn't bother parents. Magda, what do you think about that? Well, parents don't recognize how harmful this radiation is. I think if they knew, they would definitely want to protect their children. Um, And as Dr. Carpenter says, there's a lot of peer pressure. You know, even very young kids want to have their own cell phone. And the cell phone manufacturers aren't making it easy. I mean, the cell phone does everything now. It takes photographs. It uh, tells you where you are. um, You know, it allows you to play music. So, you know, we're becoming totally hooked uh, on this type of technology, yeah, it it's almost seems like it's a it's a gotta have, a must have for any child. Uh, it just seems to be one of those things that you just can't let go of. We got a caller uh, here in Toronto, Michelle. Do you have a comment Hi, for us? Hi, am I on? Yes, you are. Go Hi, ahead. thanks, Victor. Um, I just called in because um, when Rob had mentioned uh, the petition, or you mentioned the petition that was on Rob's site, mm-hmm. that was actually a petition that was drafted uh, with myself and my MP. Um, and 
the reason is is that I also became ill from being exposed to uh, microwave radiation from a cell tower that, that was near my home. And, um, of course, because I, had, I was totally ignorant and had no idea that there were any adverse health effects um, to being exposed, I you know, bought a house that was very near a tower, not knowing that that was going to be a problem. And within a few months, I became quite ill and had to move. Anyways, um, and then through, you know, becoming educated, I found out basically that Health Canada's standards were really not protecting the Canadian public. So um, I managed to find, um, you know, an MP that was, um, you know, very interested in, in, in this issue and was willing to take it on. So, um, you know, she's done a lot of um, basically sort of work trying to raise awareness and a lot of people in um, in our riding are sort of uh, trying to get some community activism together. Anyways, this petition seems to have gone um, across the country and it's getting a lot of um, attention and people are sort of, I guess, you know, it, I think it's mm-hmm. doing its job and raising some awareness. I don't know to what end you know, changes will be made, but um, at least if the government is starting to realize that people are getting ill and are concerned, um, you know, at least it will start to um, get people thinking and talking. Mm. Dr. Carpenter, what what do you think about the political awareness that has to be uh, raised uh, as Michelle is doing? Well, that's very, very important. That's one of the reasons why a radio show like this is so important. Uh, You know, our government's and also our industries respond to the demands of the public. And if the public demands that uh, wireless devices be made in a fashion that reduces exposure and reduces the risk of human disease, uh, then governments will take regulatory actions and the industry will find ways of delivering these services in a fashion that does not pose quite such risk to health. I don't think it's realistic to think that we're ever going to go back to the pre-wireless age. But there has not been enough awareness by the general public to press government, to press industry, to find ways of delivering this service in a more safe fashion. Mm-hmm. I think one of the points you made in the, uh, in the video that's on Magda's website is that uh, not only you know, is there research saying that there is risk and there is harm, uh, what there is not research or any type type of compelling information that says that uh, that wireless and uh, other types of EMF are safe. Well, that's absolutely right, and you know this the the issue of wireless in schools is just becoming a, a major issue all over the world. The problem there is that there, of course, have been no careful studies done at this stage of the game that really will document the health effects of children in wireless schools as compared to children not in wireless schools. And that kind of research is desperately needed because while those of us that are very knowledgeable about the uh, adverse health effects of radiofrequency radiation uh, are all pretty convinced that when those studies are done, they're going to show these relationships, uh, there's nothing like a careful, blinded, objective, critical study that can convince the general public and the full scientific and government communities that uh, this is a real risk. Mm. Magda, who do you see beginning that kind of research? Well, 
Unfortunately, there's no funding for research. I mean, there's virtually no friend funding in North America to do this kind of research unless you go to industry for funding. And uh, really good scientists won't do that because it compromises them. Um, and most of the research currently is being done in Europe and Asia, and that's what we're relying on. I actually think this is going to be one of the key um, health issues of this century. I think it's going to far outweigh asbestos and smoking and DDT and a lot of the other toxicants in our environment. Um, and, you know, so the sooner that we get information out to the public, um, the sooner we can have this dialogue and the sooner we can make changes. But all of this takes such a long time if we if we follow what's happened with other types of chemical toxicants in the environment. I was driving home this evening. Uh, I was downtown uh, at the, in the Bloor and, and Avenue Road area, and there's a, a church right on the corner of Blue and Avenue Road, and there was a you know one of the messages that they have, one of the cryptic messages, and it says that, uh, I'll paraphrase, that children are time messages that we as adults send into the future. And mm. if, you, if you think about that for a second, mm. uh, in a lot of different ways, you know, the messages that we give to children and what we do to children represent um, what we think of the future as being, I guess, a legacy of some way. Uh, what type of messages are we sending to children, especially through uh, industry, through uh, media advertising? What type of messages are we sending to parents and to children about the, the cavalier attitude that we have towards the research and the attitudes towards uh, these obviously dangerous, dangerous uh, uh, situations? I'm not sure which one of you want to handle that question, but uh, it's a big one in my mind. You could handle it, David. <laughs> well, you know, here in the U.S., uh, our president has just announced a major new initiative to make wireless mm -hmm. available in all remote parts of the country. Uh, obviously, the, the issue of concern has not penetrated at the level of uh, our, our, our head administration. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there are some benefits of wireless technology. Uh, but the issue is how can we take advantage of the good things while reducing the bad things? And uh, as I said a little earlier, I think a big part of the problem is the lack of understanding of the public that there is an issue here of safety. Most parents will do almost anything to protect their children, but they don't realize that that the having the child on the cell phone all the time, having the child in a wireless environment uh, poses hazards mm -hmm. and so it's it's really a matter of education now it takes more than just education it takes objective critical science to uh, document the, the degree of hazard uh, I mean I think we really don't know exactly how dangerous this is yet we know it's dangerous how it compares with other hazards uh, is something that's only going to be told in the future. It's it's true that children are are that the exposures to children today are going to be reflected in diseases they get tomorrow, mm -hmm. and we may well be facing an epidemic of brain cancer, of leukemia, and other these these other very tragic cancers because of the exposures we're subjecting ourselves to now. Back of the very gland yeah. tumors are, are already going up in Israel, and um, 
they have one of the highest per capita uses of cell phones. So I think we have to look at some of these trends and um, and learn from them rather than repeat the mistakes that everyone else is making. Back in the 1980s, uh, I was uh, in, in education uh, as principal, and there was this massive movement in the uh, in the school board that I was associated with about asbestos, mm-hmm. asbestos in schools, and we had demonstrations at board meetings, and we had people. Uh, in schools and parents groups, they were just up in arms about asbestos in the schools. And uh, the, the problem was resolved at a certain level by just going into the schools and, and at some point removing it. Uh, but they couldn't remove all of it, so they covered it up. Mm-hmm. And, I, and the, issue, the issue just went away. Now, I use the word covered cover up physically because the asbestos was, in fact, covered up. But I guess metaphorically, I'm also saying that the issue was covered up in a, in a political way. Um, is this something that will just sort of fade into the into the uh, into the woodwork, or does something really have to happen before before people stand up and and you know and smell the coffee and, and see what's really going on here? What does it take for people to really get energized about this? Well, well I think one one of the things it takes is a recognition of the increase in frequency of diseases like brain cancer, because when a friend or a relative uh, develops brain cancer at young ages and and has been on a cell phone for a long period of time that becomes very convincing to the individuals but there definitely needs to be more quality research research that is objective and independent uh... because i think we know that the results are going to show that uh... exposure results in disease and uh... that has to be done Unfortunately, as Magda said, there's no funding for those kinds of studies in, mm-hmm. in North America these days. Uh, Magda? Well, you know, in Canada, we have a, a very powerful uh, federal agency, Health Canada, that is adamant um, in stating that this is safe. And most people want to use the technology. So if they have the choice of listening to what should be a very respectable and credible health authority in Canada, um, or someone else, you know, a, a few lone scientists around the world who are saying, you know, uh, beware, this this could be damaging your health. Because they want to use the technology, they're going to prefer to listen to Health Canada. And I think, um, you know, really everyone's hiding behind Health Canada. So when the school boards decide that they're going to uh, put Wi-Fi in, um, they're going to, you know, um, basically say, well, Health Canada said it was okay, so it must be okay. And so I think they really have a lot to answer for regarding this. And I agree with Dr. Carpenter um, that once people start getting sick, that's when they realize there's been a problem. But once you develop a brain tumor, you know, it's very late. Um, at that stage, it's, it's too late. Um, and I think what we are trying to do is to prevent those tumors from happening, and that's what's really difficult. Okay, I'm going to throw something at both of you, uh, Magda first, and then uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Carpenter second. Um, I'm a parent, let's say, and I'm the oh, president of our local PTA, and I'm listening to the conspiracy show this evening, and uh, I've never heard of this. I have, my goodness, I've maybe had some sort of inkling that this, something might be going on, but now I'm convinced that something, in fact, is going on, and I have a bit of sway in my community because I'm on the, you know, the, the parent group, uh, PTA Association, or whatever it might be. What do I do? Who do I talk to? How high do I go to get some action? Do I start pounding on desks? Do I, uh, wh- what do I do? Uh, Mag, do you want to start that one? 
Well, I think it's really important, first of all, for individuals to educate themselves about this as much as they possibly can. It's a fairly technical topic, but as much as they possibly can. And then I think it's important for them to go to their school board, uh, local schools, and demand that the schools use wired technology rather than wireless. So we're not saying don't allow students to get, get on the Internet, just do it in a safe way. Um, some of the parents uh, locally in, in, in um, the Collingwood region and in the Peterborough area are willing to do fundraising to get uh, wired technology into these schools because they recognize the harmful effects. So I think they've got to do it very much at the local level to make changes. And then once we begin to have a few schools where the principals and, and the trustees are, are quite intelligent and recognize um, the, the potential problems with this, then we have models and other, other schools can follow uh, after that. Uh, I think changing Health Canada is going to take uh, a very long time, and it might just be a waste of time right now, but you can do a heck of a lot at the local level. Mm-hmm. Dr. Carpenter? Well, I totally agree with that. I think the, the, the point is to, for individuals to first educate themselves, then educate the PTA. Bring in people that are knowledgeable on the subject to talk with the, the parents of the kids in the schools, uh, talk with the school teachers and the school administrators, uh, because the biggest problem here is simply the lack of information. Uh, when people have the information, uh, the, the, the uh, answer is, is very obvious, that there are risks associated with the wireless technology. We've got two callers on the line. Uh, one, Renu from Edmonton, way far away there. Renu, yes. Yeah. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Hello? Ren- yes, you're, you're on the line. Go ahead. Okay, so here is our problem in the school here. Uh, we had this talk, we had the meetings, and people tried everything, but our school still went ahead and installed the Wi-Fi. So we are kind of worried and feeling very helpless, and we are feeling every school in Edmonton will have it, so there doesn't seem to be any solution for us here. Who wants to handle that? Go ahead. Well, you know, that's happening here in Peterborough as well, in the Peterborough County. Um, there are parents who are begging that the schools not go ahead and put Wi-Fi in, and they're simply being ignored. What some of the parents are, are beginning to talk about locally is to simply go on strike and uh, remove their children from the schools for, you know, a, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, whatever it takes, to get the message across that um, they don't want their children, they haven't given permission for their children to be microwaved, and the school has no right to do it. Um, and perhaps you need something like that to really get the attention of the school board. Yeah, you have to be provocative in some way, don't you? Thank you for your call, Renu. Uh, Barbara, we have a Barbara on the line. Go ahead, Barbara. Hi, how are you? Not too bad. What's your comment? I, I have, first of all, to say that I am somebody who is sensitive to electromagnetic radiation and who experiences some adverse health reactions to it from time to time. Mm-hmm. And just for all the people listening, uh, what people, various people have been talking about, remedies and so on, and certainly just prudent avoidance of some of this stuff does help. And you can still have a life and play on the Internet and watch TV and things like that. Uh, And then I have two questions for your experts. I would like to know uh, some comments about effects on the blood-brain barrier, and I would like to know what 
listeners can do as individuals to get these uh, readings that were at the schools in Collingwood that were above even what Health Canada accepts to get that out into the media, into more public awareness? Okay, thank you, Veronica, for your call. Uh, uh, Dr. Carpenter, do you want to handle that one first? Well, yes, let's talk about the blood-brain barrier. There are uh, a number of reports that exposure to cell phone frequencies uh, break down the blood-brain barrier. Now, the blood-brain barrier is uh, it's, it's really a physical barrier that prevents things, from, things that are in the blood from getting into the brain. Uh, and it, it allows some things to cross, but not a lot of other things. Uh, this is a fairly debatable issue, and actually I've just reviewed a paper uh, the last couple of weeks uh, from France that uh, tried to answer the question of whether this really occurred or whether it did not. Uh, and, you know, there are a number of papers that say there are effects, there are others that say there are not. What uh, I think is more convincing is the study that just appeared last week, which demonstrated that uh, exposure to cell phone frequencies increases the uptake of glucose, the sugar, by nerve cells in the vicinity of the ear. And this was a very carefully done study from uh, the U.S. National Institutes of Health, and actually the glucose uptake is even a more sensitive indicator than changes in cerebral blood flow or changes in the blood-brain barrier. So uh, that's, that's, I think, an issue. The blood-brain barrier is an issue that really requires more study. And that, and that particular study was after 50 minutes of, of being on a cell phone, uh, being exposed to cell phone radiation. So mm-hmm. it was a relatively short period of time. Right. I want to move back into the area of schools once again, because I guess because of my background and, and having sat across from uh, parents who are, have many, many different kinds of concerns at, uh, at parent meetings and so on. Um, and I'm not sure how much of a hot potato this is going to be, but I think uh, Megan and I talked about this briefly on Friday. Um, in Ontario, uh, and in probably most jurisdictions, we have um, child abuse legislation. And uh, that legislation states that if an adult has a concern or suspects abuse, all you have to do is suspect abuse. It doesn't have to be abuse. If you are a professional, an adult, and you can at least express a concern about a purported suspected child abuse, uh, you have a responsibility legally, and you can be charged if you don't, to report that abuse. How far out on a limb could you go as researchers, as experts, to say that because of the uncertainty of all of this, not because of, you know, one way or another it might be or might not be, but just the uncertainty of the safety aspects of all this and the kinds of exposure that can be proved, is there a case or can a case be made for child abuse in our schools? And that's a hot one. I'm not sure who's going to handle that one. <laughs> We're both pretty quiet on that one. Oh, yes. go ahead. Take a shot at it because it... What do you think? Well, let me try, uh, first of all. I think that the issue of Wi-Fi in schools is one where no child has any option. If the school puts in Wi-Fi, then that child is going to be exposed. And they have to be at school. They have to be at school. It's the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the the case of whether or not that constitutes abuse is really dependent on the strength of the evidence 
that Wi-Fi in schools is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think we can say with great confidence that cell phone use is dangerous and that more is worse. Now, the, the studies have not yet been done on Wi-Fi, as we said earlier, but it's the same frequency. And it's an exposure that's going to occur at a lower intensity, but it's going to occur constantly when the child's in the school. So is it all that far-fetched? Probably not. It would be a stronger concern if there were good studies comparing children in Wi-Fi schools versus children not in Wi-Fi schools. There is the other one. issue we have Sorry, is uh, many schools now place cell phone towers in the school. Mm-hmm. They make some money by doing that. And the cell phone towers are going to increase the exposure of students just like Wi-Fi in the schools. So uh, there's, there are threats from many directions here. I was just going to say that there was one study that came out uh, quite a few years ago that did a, uh, a study at 2.4 gigahertz, which is the same frequency used for Wi-Fi. It was low level, and it was a long-term study with rats. And they found two things. They found that the immune system was compromised in the rats and that they developed uh, a very large number of different types of cancers. Uh, and that was for something called continuous wave 2.4 gigahertz exposure. What we have in schools is pulsed. And all of the research that I've read suggests that the pulsed uh, frequencies are actually much more harmful. So unlike, um, you know, the childhood leukemia studies where we don't have animal models, here we do have an animal model um, that's suggesting uh, an increase in cancers and an impaired immune system. I have a, a story that I think is extremely disturbing. There was a young girl in Toronto, in a Toronto school, um, who was standing in the hallway with her head very close to one of these Wi-Fi routers, and she collapsed in, in, in the hallway. She passed out. And that's happened to her several times in the school. It's, it's never happened anywhere else. And she had a mouthful of braces, metal braces. And we oh, know that metal goodness. reflects this radiation. And her head was about two feet away from one of these routers. Um, and I think in, in cases like that, um, if you know, if we could actually demonstrate that her symptoms came on because of that exposure, I think that would be an example of child abuse. We're talking with Dr. David Carpenter and Associate Professor Magda Havas. We're talking about wireless technology. Is it safe? You're listening to The Conspiracy Show on AM 740 Radio in Toronto. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good evening. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Victor Vigiani. We have two compelling guests on this evening, Dr. David Carpenter and Associate Professor Magda Havas. We've got two callers on the line, and we'd like to get to both of them. Uh, Veronica, quickly, could you make your point and perhaps uh, have a listen to the answer? Um, Hi. um yeah, my name is Veronica, as you just said. Uh, I have been electrosensitive for the past year, and I just wanted to add to when you asked the question earlier about what's going to convince people that this is actually something that's having an adverse effect on, on biology. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Carpenter was saying, you know, when family members start getting brain cancer from, you know, long-term use of, of cell phones and, and things like that. And um, I agree with, with that, but I just wanted to add that I think another important thing would be for people to really start talking about some of the 
lesser symptoms, of which there's a, a whole list that we sometimes take for granted. And in the time, in the past year that I've been electrosensitive, I've, I spent seven months trying to find a new home. And all of the people I met and communicated with, I was amazed at the six degrees of separation between myself and how many other people were experiencing similar symptoms and until then had not suspected that it had anything to do with, with Wi-Fi or electromagnetic frequencies. Um, so much so that uh, just before school started, as a parent, I sent an email to other parent friends of mine just pointing out the fact that the schools are hoping to put Wi-Fi in over the next couple of years and to just pay attention. I didn't try to alarm anybody because most of them didn't know that this was even happening to me. And uh, I just said, you know, pay attention and, you know, seek out some information so that if your children come home with certain kinds of symptoms, you can actually be aware of where it's coming from. And I was amazed at how many emails I got sent back to me, one from a friend who didn't know anything about this and who had instinctively had to move from her bedroom. Uh, she was sleeping in the basement. I think her daughters were also sleeping on the main floor. She had to give up her cell phone and couldn't be in the same room as her daughter's cell phone and had no idea about any of this, but discovered that her bedroom was about four blocks away from a whole number of towers. Incidentally, I think they were on top of a school facing right into her bedroom. And because of this email, um, we started to dialogue about it, where she's actually gone to the city council because it's made her ill, and she had no idea that any of this was happening. And so I think if we start talking about some of the lesser symptoms, because people have become so accustomed to hearing about cancer and brain cancer and tumors, they actually think it's kind of normal, mm -hmm. and they're not paying attention to the, the, the age and that it's happening to younger and younger people. But when we start to communicate about some of these things that are happening, I think we'd be surprised to find out how many people are having similar experiences but don't know it's happening to their neighbors or their friends or, or people that they're actually possibly in school with. Well, thank you very much, Sheriff call, Veronica. We do appreciate your perspective. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Ross, we've got a caller, uh, Dr. Ross from California, and you've got a comment very quickly on uh, smart meters, doctor. Yes. Um, I'd, I'd like to know whether the smart meters also put dirty electricity on the line, and is that worse than the transmissions from the sending the data? Actually, yes, they do put dirty electricity on the line, and um, they're contributing to ground current problems uh, in California. I have a colleague down there, Dr. Sam Millam, who's doing a lot of measurements now, and he's very concerned with what he's finding because of that. So they're they're emitting the microwave radiation through the air every every few you know every single time they send a message, and the message frequency varies from location to location. And they're also putting the dirty power on the line that um, goes right through every room in your house. Thank you for your call, Doctor. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to be wrapping things up in a few moments, but what, what I'd like to try to very briefly address towards the end of this, this raises questions about trust in government and trust in our public agencies, uh, those agencies that are uh, supposed to represent the interests of uh, <clears throat> we, the individual citizens, who put them in those positions. Um, what does this issue and the way it's being handled or the way it's not been handled tell us about uh, trust in government and our social agencies? Dr. Carpenter? Well, I think it's uh, an important question. The governments are, are caught in a bind. They are obviously concerned about economic development and the whole general economy. They also have concerns about health. 
and uh, they they do have to balance uh, advances in technology with uh, adverse effects of those advances. Uh, government is always slow. The government's been slow in, for example, dealing with the issues of smoking, dealing with the issues of of chemicals and 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 the dangers that they cause. Uh, so, of course, there's the undue influence of industry on government. But government is, after all, responsive to the the demands of the people that elect the politicians. And that's where I think it becomes the responsibility of everybody, not just the scientific community, to become informed on this issue and then pressure their elected officials to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Dr. Magda? Well, more and more politicians are beginning to be concerned uh, about this and are taking active steps to put warnings on cell phones, for example, to um, warn people about smart meters, try and have petitions to actually have a moratorium on smart meters. Um, and while I agree with Dr. Carpenter that, uh, you know, government really has to do a balancing act that um, isn't easy, and that's one of the reasons I'm not in government, uh, I wouldn't know how to do the job. However, when it comes to agencies, like a health agency, um, then I think it's their moral responsibility to take care of the health uh, of people. And that's where I feel in Canada that we're, we're being let down by, by Health Canada. I have lost all trust uh, and, and confidence in Health Canada. Indeed, even the World Health Organization, I think there's certainly examples recently with um, uh, you know the um, the virus, uh, the flu, um, and the vaccinations that they recommended that we're having a pandemic that uh, you know was so, so overinflated, and um, turned out that it was you know they had a lot of industry influence. I think there's far too much industry influence in these agencies, and because of that, they're not making the right decisions. When you look at the patterns of uh, the way government reacts to things, you know the pharmaceutical industry for one. Uh, it there just seems to be uh, an ominous pattern as to how government reacts to all of these things, and that pattern to me is in a lot more uh, different ways, and more insidious uh, than the than the actual detriment, the the issue that's at hand. And it's do you understand the point that I'm making? It's not just the issue itself; it's it's the pattern of of uh, the loss of recognition. Like for example, in this one, we're using children as canaries in a mine shaft. Basically, that's what we're doing. If you take a look at the research. And uh, that, that is something that I strenuously object to. And, you know, as a, as a radio journalist, I'm supposed to be ob- objective, but you find it very hard uh, to do that. Uh, any comment on that? Well, you know, I have uh, parents who I interact with quite a bit, and, and their attitude was, well, you know, as soon as the school realizes that there are alternatives to this, that they don't have to go wireless, and that even if, if we assume that we don't know what the long-term effects are likely to be, then shouldn't we err on the side of caution and not expose our children to this? And her naive response um, concept was, as soon as the school board saw this, they would they would, you know, be logical about it, and of course they wouldn't go ahead with Wi-Fi. But instead what they do is they, they surround, um, you know, they get together, and it's almost like a herd mentality, and they just want to go ahead. They don't want to lose face uh, for the decisions that they've already made unwisely. Yeah. And, and, and Dr. Carpenter, at the beginning of the program, I, I played part of the clip from, uh, from Magda's uh, video on her website, and on that um, 
beginning note, uh, you indicated to us that we shouldn't have to be placed in a position to count the bodies in order to uh, recognize that we've made a serious mistake here. Uh, do you think it's going to come to that? Well, uh, you know, if we don't take action, it's going to come mm-hmm. to that. That's absolutely right. We seem not to have learned from all of the things that uh, that happened in the, the past. I mean, asbestos may not have been that big of an issue in schools, but people really die from asbestos. And, you know, the uh, the evidence that people are going to die from exposure to radiofrequency fields is strong, it's growing stronger, and we really do need to take steps to protect especially our children. Okay. Well, I want to thank you both very much, very sincerely, for being part of this uh, dialogue this evening. This kind of discourse is absolutely necessary, especially when you're talking about the uh, uh, the welfare of our children. So, Dr. Dr. Magna Havas, thank you very much for being with us, and Dr. David Carpenter, um, much appreciation. My pleasure. Take care, both of you, now. Thank you. Good night. Good night. There you have it, folks. Another edition of The Conspiracy Show. Uh, Quite disturbing. I'm sure many of us will look at our microwaves and our cell phones and as our children tootle off to school in the morning and get on that big yellow bus, we'll be looking at things just a little bit more differently than we did about two hours ago. And we hope that we've uh, been part of that education for you. Uh, the people of Ontario and parents of children that are out there. So with that, I want to thank you very much for joining us this evening on The Conspiracy Show. And uh, next week, Richard will be back in the hot seat, and eventually I will be back also. So thank you very much, and uh, you take care. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.